Thank you. Well, this morning was uh, really interesting for my wife and myself. Um, we thought, ah, oh, this is going to be a peaceful morning because our kids, well, our two youngest, they're, they're spending the weekend with their cousins. The house is quiet. We're going to have coffee, great breakfast, and then I'm going to come here and we're going to be able to spend the morning with you. And we woke up and uh, electricity was out. And we're out in Sandy, Oregon right now, and we're at my in-law's house, and they've got this incredible house, but if you have no electricity out there, you have nothing. So I went to the sink, turned on the sink, actually the shower, and turned it on while they're on a pump, and the pump is ran by electricity. And so all, we got about 30 or 40 seconds of water. I'm like, ah, oh, yes. Right as I got ready to get into the shower, shoo, water was gone. I'm like, oh, wow. This is great. And so we can't see because um, the rooms, the way it is, and sunlight's not coming into these rooms very well. So we've got our, our cell phones. And so this is the one time today I'm actually thanking the Lord for cell phones because <laughs> it has the flashlight on it. And so we, we're looking around in the dark trying to find clothes. And so I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. I dressed in the dark. So. Uh, my wife was actually in the bathroom here with her, was it a flat iron or something? Yeah, plugging in here. So we're just getting ready here. And so thank you for letting us be here today. Uh, my name is John. My last name is Stuthard. And so people forget that my last name because it's kind of odd. And so it's Stu, S-T-A, Stu, and then think of three, third. So Stu, third. Anyway, um, I have uh, known Adam, your pastor, for the last three years. And I've gotten to know him at uh, Pessim. And Pessim is, uh, as you probably know, is our denomination has a Bible college. And so Adam and I are both students in this. And it's the last year. And we're, we're having fun. And um, a few things about Adam that I really enjoy is, uh, first off, he has the best beard in Pessim. <laughs> and I also think that Adam looks like, um, at times, and he, he actually... Um, responded with a smile. I told him he looked like a character out of Lord of the Rings because that beard, you know. And uh, so you can tell him that, that he reminds you of a character out of Lord of the Rings. He'll, he'll know where that comes from. A um, little bit about my family, though. My wife, Elizabeth, is right here. And we have, um, we've been married 20 years. And we have three awesome kids. And I know everybody always says, oh, I have awesome kids. But mine are literally the best. So you're in, you can stand in line. Uh, we have Olivia, who is, and there's no test on this. I just like saying their names. Olivia, she's 14. Uh, Quincy, our daughter, our middle, she's 11. And then we have our little guy, Lincoln, and he's seven. And a um, little bit about my ministry background. So I love seeing the kids up here. So I was a youth pastor for seven and a half years with junior high kids. And so um, I still can't get that out of my DNA. I love kids. Um, I think there's a reason why Jesus said that we should love kids and don't hinder them from coming to see him. So I love kids. Uh, after junior high, I became a worship pastor. And at one point, um, our current uh, superintendent, Randy Myers, does anybody know Randy here? Okay, so Randy hired me in Bend. And so I ended up uh, moving with my family to Bend. And I was the worship pastor at New Hope for 10 years. And then we went 
the last three years, and this was a wild ride, the last uh, three years we went to Billings, Montana. And if you've ever been to Billings, anybody been to Billings? Okay, if you haven't, just don't. It's, <laughs> it's so cold. Uh, last Christmas it was minus 30 for like five days and I was just thinking, I can't wait to move back to Oregon one day. Uh, but we had a great time at the church. We were at Harvest Church, another one of our churches there. And I got to serve as the worship pastor there. And so at the end of that, we, we got an opportunity to dream what would be next. And so next for us was coming back to Oregon and being a part of life here again. So I was born and raised in Portland. Um, and so it feels really good to be here. And plus, again, no minus 30. So um, one thing about Adam, and this is going to take us into our message today. One thing about Adam that I like um, and I haven't really had the privilege of hearing Adam preach other than at school and 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 really it's in, in snippets you guys have been able to listen to his love for the word but that's one thing I'm impressed with Adam is he really seems to have a great love for the word so that has caused us to have some great theological conversations and the reason why I bring this up is because the Bible as as we know um, there are some pieces in the Bible that are absolutely clear. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit has gone out of his way to make sure that we would understand what the Bible is saying. But there are some things about the Bible that we absolutely, we gotta slow down, we gotta read it, and this is kind of, it's a little gross, but it's kind of like a cow. A cow chooses cud, and then it comes back to it. I won't talk about how it comes back to it, because that's the gross part. But it chews it over and over and over. And the reason why I say this is because you guys are in a series, I've been told, about parables, correct? Parables, man, they are something that you have to chew on. And you've got to come back to it over and over and over. And I think that it's worth mentioning that because Jesus taught with parables a, a large portion of his ministry. Parables can seem uh, difficult. They can seem mysterious. And uh, right before we moved from Montana to Oregon, um, speaking of mysterious, the church that we we're at Harvest, uh, they had an associate pastor there, a really neat guy, and his name is Adam. So two Adams. And Adam, he was into team building, and uh, he really wanted to unify the staff because it was a pretty large staff. And so you know if. Maybe at work, maybe uh, you've been through this whole process where they want to team build and get everybody to have this cohesiveness. And so one time they did team building before I got there, and it was paintball. And I'm thinking, how do you team build with shooting each other with paintballs? But apparently the staff is pretty crazy. They liked it. They went bowling, and I'm like, okay, I could, I could bowl. Does anybody hear bowl, by the way? All right, so you guys would like the team build with bowling. And, uh, and then they also did one which apparently failed. Um, they went on a, um, a two-day nature hike, but we were in Montana, and there's grizzly bears. And so they picked the wrong time of the year in the wrong place, and so they called that one. <laughs> but team building. So I got an email, and the email said this. The beginning of it said this. Dear staff, there's an upcoming team building event at an escape room. Does anybody know what an escape room is here? Okay, oh, this is so good because 
prior to this email, I mean, I'd heard about escape rooms, but actually, how do I say this? Well, I'll just say it. I didn't really care. <laughs> I just didn't. I was like, I, I don't know. There's just no pull to, to an escape room. And so um, the escape room, what it is, in case you don't know, is it is a room, you and a team of, and I think our team was like seven or eight people. They split our staff up into these groups. There was like five different groups. Your group of people, you go into a room and they lock you in this room and you're locked in the room. You have to escape this room. And so there are, uh, you walk in and there are uh, riddles and clues and puzzles. Um, these puzzles, the reason why I kind of struggled with this escape room thing is I've never really been the guy to solve puzzles. So I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to talk about this lovely little thing. Um, they lock you into the room. You solve the riddles. The riddles lead to another riddle, which leads to another riddle, which leads to another riddle. And hopefully by the time you solve them, the last one shows you where the key is at and then you get out. And now they're timing your, your group's time to solve this huge puzzle. And once they solve the puzzle, uh, the team with the best time wins. And actually, my team did win, and I was no help whatsoever. So I'm the guy that, um, I, I had one of these as a kid. I actually just got this one because I thought, oh, this is perfect to explain um, puzzles. You guys know what this is called, right? Rubik's Cube. So, so much so do I not excel with puzzles. Um, I did solve it one time in my life, and I did that by pulling all the stickers off of it. <laughs> and then I put them back on, and then lo and behold, when you pull the stickers off, they never go back on right again, so now they start to peel, and so that one got tossed in the garbage, and the next one came, and, um, and I never solved it. And so, to me, and my kids, by the way, were trying to get at this for the last few days. And I'm like, no, because I can't solve this. I like the colors all symmetrical. I like it solved. Don't mess with it. I'm the guy that cringes when he sees um, like a thousand piece puzzle. You guys like puzzles? Anybody here? My mother-in-law loves puzzles. The bigger, the better. And she'll wipe out a whole table. She'll put it up there. And somehow she knows how to instinctively look for the, the pieces that would match, you know, she looks at the, the picture, instinctively knows which colors match where, and she pieces it all together. I look at that, and I just cringe, and I'm like, oh, when it gets put together, the only thing I can imagine is either putting a piece of glass on top of it to preserve it so it doesn't get messed with, or glue it, or, you know, do something to it. I know they shellac them or something, but... So I cringe. Um, so as this, as this clock is ticking, I was actually feeling pressure when we were in the room, and then I found out in the escape room that they have one thing that you can do. And if you used to watch like the TV show Survivor back in the day, or well, I don't know if it was, what was it? Not Survivor, what was it? You could phone a friend, what was that show? The Millionaire Show, okay. So here we are in this escape room, not Survivor. I felt like I was in Survivor. So you could shout out, Gamekeeper, give me a clue. And so over the intercom in this room, somebody would go ahead and they would shout out a clue. And so the cool thing about the parables of Jesus, you don't get two clues like in an escape room. Jesus gives us 
clue after clue after clue, and he doesn't leave us there. We're not stranded in a room. How I like to use my clues. My clues typically, um, I was bouncing things off of Adam, which was great. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who really shows us the answers to our, our questions, but the Holy Spirit can use, and so here it is, I love to use commentaries. I don't know if you guys like to use commentaries, but commentaries typically, especially when dealing with Proverbs, as we're going to see, they're beautiful because you've got a person who devoted their whole life to studying Scripture, a person who spent their whole life figuring out how a cube works. And you can take all of their experience and you can lump it together with another person who wrote another commentary. And after you start looking at these commentaries, you go, wow, there's a theme here. This theme is showing me which way to twist this cube. And what is Jesus really saying? So a little background about why, um, why we're looking at these today. I'm going to use a term a lot, and that term is true Christians. Has Adam used that with you guys before? Okay, so true Christians, and that doesn't mean, that's not meant to uh, demean anybody who isn't following Jesus. All I'm saying is that there is indicators that you really actually are following Jesus, right? So if somebody is a madman and they're doing horrible things in society, those are indicators that they probably aren't following the teachings of Jesus. You guys got that? Okay. So here's the stage. Looking at two parables today. True Christians, our lives should visibly reflect the gospel of Jesus. Um, Jesus was just finishing a teaching time with uh, the masses. We don't know how many people were here, but we know that there was a mass of people. We also know that there were Pharisees, probably Sadducees, and, um, and probably some Roman influence there as well, and they're listening to Jesus. But Jesus is going to break out of that mass time, and now we're going to see that he shifts to a time where he is alone with his own disciples. And Jesus wants to make sure with uh, these disciples that he's, he's clearly, clearly understood. And then we're going to see how Jesus is going to uh, give us a great promise. And this promise is something I want us to all hold on to today, and I'll get into this in one of our points. But it is the fact that true Christians will be ever-growing spiritually. Now, the thing that's beautiful about that is that we all have seasons. I think back at some seasons where we went through transition from moving from church to church. I did not grow the same through all my seasons. Actually, I probably had about, there was a chunk in my life where I feel like all I did was, um, I was a dad. I was just trying to make sure that there was food and I felt dry. We have dry valleys in our growth, but you're on a process. The valleys are a part of the process. And then true Christians, and this is a huge part also today, we play a part in shining the gospel to the world. Um, before we also get into any more of the, the scripture, um, I had somebody ask me, why, why did Jesus use parables? You guys ever wondered that? Why does Jesus use parables? Nobody? One. We got one. Yes. I think we all have probably wondered, wondered why. Um, the first reason why Jesus used parables is because it was very easy for them in that time culturally to understand and make a connection. Um, there were familiar topics. There was rich symbolism that they really got. Okay. Um, if I were to take this cube... <laughs> 
2,000 years back and hand this to the disciples, they would look at it like, what the heck is that? They couldn't answer. Oh, it's a Rubik's Cube. Most of you knew what this was. So this has a cultural context. So Jesus met them where they were at. Also, parables, they cause discussion. We know that uh, Jesus said um, these parables and the Romans heard them. The Pharisees heard them. Um, they talked about it. And here we are today. We're still talking, even here today, about, about what do these parables mean. And then it caused a hunger in true believers. And if you're a note taker today, I'm going to give you some, uh, some scriptures that you can, you can write down as well. But um, true hunger in believers, that's actually out of Matthew 13, 10. Uh, but, but here's the big one. This is why, and I, I got this out of commentary. So um, one reason why we believe that Jesus really spoke through parables also was it bought Jesus time. So Jesus had a mission that took three years. He was on mission. I mean, Jesus came so that we could be here today. I love that word about the church and that we should be able to have a place to worship. We should be thankful for this. Jesus' mission, that three-year mission, is being fulfilled here today. We are sitting as a result of that mission. The reason why I say at bottom time was the Pharisees, we find in Scripture constantly, they were confused. They were trying to figure out what is he saying? And if Jesus would have clearly said that I'm saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life, right out of the gate, if they would have understood this, they would have been more expedient in trying to kill him. The Romans would have been involved way faster. Uprisings probably would have occurred. So Jesus gave us what we needed in the amount that we needed. Does that make sense? Okay, so our big idea today, if you like to write, I would write down this. The big idea, what I would like you to go home with today, and this is, this is going to be applicational whether you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or five minutes. Uh, true Christians help grow the kingdom of God. So that's all of us. True Christians help grow the kingdom of God. So we're going to pray for uh, the word, and then we'll get right into it. So Jesus, thank you. God, you bring illumination. So would you please, Lord, bring illumination today to our hearts. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Help us to understand these two huge parables, God. Help us get nuggets out of this. And Lord, help us, give us courage to apply the truth that we hear today. And in Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. All right, I know that was a lot to set this up. Are you guys with me so far? Okay. So we're going to turn, if you have a Bible, if you got a phone with a Bible app, if you, you have anything that you uh, can turn to Scripture in, we're going to look at Mark 4, 21 through 25 initially. Now, this is the parable of the lamp. It's a very familiar parable. And Jesus is He's going to ask some questions, and these questions are actually for us today as well. So Mark 4, 21. And Jesus, this is him. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. 
If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So great, we got another Rubik's Cube to unravel, but here we go. Point number one is this. True Christians, they shine the light of Jesus. So back in verse 21, if you're still there, it says, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? And then he goes on to say, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Everybody say open. open. Most scholars agree that the lamp is actually a direct reference to the person of Jesus. Jesus is the light. Scripture reference for you if you're like, well, I want to know where does it say that? Good. Well, John 8, 13 says this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We know that one. So the, the word lamp, it actually comes from a Greek word, luknos. And it literally means an item which is portable and an illuminator used for the purpose of giving and bringing light for others where needed. So it's portable. It implies that the stand, okay, the stand, and we're going to come back to the stand, it moves and it's what we place the lamp or Jesus on. Why is the light for others important? And I love this because somebody could say, well, why do I need the light? Well, because without Jesus, the world is lost. Uh, and we know this. It's in absolute darkness. John 8.13b, the second part of that, Jesus says this. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So that's a promise. Whoever follows Jesus is not going to walk in darkness. But the opposite would also be true. Whoever does not follow Jesus will walk in darkness. So here would be a, a, a big piece for us to understand in this chunk, which is we are not the lamp. Jesus is, but we are the stands. Turn to whoever you're next to and say, you're a stand. You're a stand. Mark 4.21 says, and here it is. We're going to look for the word you. Jesus says, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand. You know, there's a principle when we talk about shining Jesus. So, so we're the stand that shines Jesus. But there's a principle, there's a modern day principle, and then there's a biblical principle they tie together. The modern day principle says this, I love this. You will reflect mostly who or what you spend your time with. I'm going to say that again. You will reflect your life, your attitudes, how you love others, how you treat others, how you act at work. You will reflect mostly who or what you spend your time with. And the, the Bible actually, I think it says it quicker and clearer. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So predictably, 
if you're a lamp that's going to display Jesus and you're going to have to have Jesus in your life to display him, you need to spend time with Jesus if you're going to shine his light. The question is, how do I spend time with Jesus? I mean, the disciples, they got to physically sit with Jesus. Sometimes I actually get pretty jealous of the disciples because they sat in the presence of the greatest teacher ever for three years. Anybody else ever think about that? I mean, I think, man, they got, they got personal teaching. It probably was overload, but they got personal teaching from God, sat with God. How do, how do I... How do I get that influence in my life so I have something to shine? And so here's four things, and I think these are worth writing down. These are, um, the answer is that we, we can shine as light through devotional practices. It's our discipleship. But if you are not doing any of these, you're probably not shining the light of Jesus. The first one is prayer. You can reference that through John 15, 7. It talks about our life in prayer. The next is reading and knowing, not just reading, but knowing God's word. We talked about the cow, chewing, getting in his word. Uh, that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And listening, this is a big one. It's probably the biggest one. Listening, obeying, and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 1, 8. And then what you're doing today, you guys get this one already. So fellowshipping with others, Matthew 18, 20. And we all know Jesus said that wherever two or more are gathered, there he is. So he's here today. His spirit is here today. We're hearing from him. We're hearing from his word. But those four things are the main ways that we can be discipled. So you might want to ask yourself, okay, how am I sharing what I've been given? How is my hope, my faith, my love for others, forgiveness. How am I shining that to the world? And I'll just be honest with you, forgiveness has been a hard one for me. I have, I'm not the only one I, I'm sure in this room, but I've, I've had seasons where I've harbored forgive, the, the lack of forgiveness for others. Even a coworker at a church that I worked at, I think I stayed in bondage to not giving somebody forgiveness for close to 10 years. And I was right. I was offended, I was hurt. And I realized that that was getting in the way of me extending love and forgiveness because you can't give what you don't have, right? So thank you, Lord, that you've helped me deal with that. Point number two is true Christians will bear fruit. Now, this is, this is good. We're, we're actually promised perpetual spiritual growth. And this is through those devotional practices the more we spend time with God, the more we will know him. That's what we've been talking about. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I don't know if you guys like to look at different translations. I like to look at different translations, and I like to see why they, why they translated something different. And the NLT actually gets um, verse 24 and verse 25 right on the money. And this is what it says in the NLT about knowing God, knowing him, and having perpetual growth just by spending time with him in those four ways. Jesus said, 24, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. Okay, and then here comes the guarantee, 
Verse 25. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. Let's read that again. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. You're going to grow. It's going to be perpetual. And this understanding helps us. It helps us to bear fruit. True Christians should be bearing fruit. Um, have you guys memorized the fruits of the Spirit? Some of you have. If you haven't, I always forget them. <laughs> and I've got kids, and so I try to remember them. My wife knows them. She knows them by heart, and she'll tell them, are you being patient? Are you being kind? Is there gentleness? Well, this, this is what I would say. Write this down. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. What should we be shining to the world? The fruit of the Spirit. And this is what it says. Galatians 5.22. It is love. It is joy. It is patience. It's peace. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. And this is the one I want my kids to get. It's self-control. So I think that's funny. All right. And then the last piece of this is that obviously... Scripture says that for us to grow, again, it's implying that we're connected to Jesus. And I've heard people say, well, no, you know what? I can read the Word and just know the Word, and that's enough. And let me say this. This is, this is something that um, I really live by, and I believe this. If all you do is study the Word, and you don't know Jesus, okay, all you've become is a very educated kind Pharisee. And we don't need more Pharisees. We need, to, we need more people who have spent time with Jesus, who are full of love and joy and patience and kindness and peace. So this is what Jesus says, because he talks about the fruit. And if you're thinking, well, but do I really have to have that deep of a relationship? Yes. Write this down, John 15, 5. Jesus says this about being connected to him to bear fruit. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. You want to produce fruit that seems, I mean, I'll tell you, th those, those uh, pieces of, of fruit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, it is hard you, you actually will not be able to do it on your own. You need God living in you and through you, and then it becomes easy. Point three, without Christ, people, they don't experience that growth. They actually die spiritually, and they decay. This one was actually really hard to want to show you this, because uh, verse 25, he says, but for those who are not listening, not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Commentaries don't really give a great picture into this, and so I thought, well, applicationally, what do we see in the world? So there's, there's a research uh, group called the Barna Research Group, and this is what Barna Research Group has said about those who are not listening, and, and what does it look like to have their understanding taken away from them? Barna Research says, Adults 19 and over, this is huge. Adults 19 and over, they have just 6% probability of ever receiving Jesus as Savior. From 19, 6%. 
The longer we live without Jesus, the darker our lives get. In contrast, though, so I'm just going to warn you right now, um, I love seeing um, somebody ring the bell and say, kids, kids, come serve. In contrast, nearly half of all Americans who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before reaching the age of 13. 13. If your church, because I don't know, but if your church is not on fire for the youth ministry, you need to go kick your pastor in the shins and tell him to wake up. It's, it's how the church is going to grow. It's our future. It would be the saddest thing ever if this generation right here is the last generation who knew Jesus before this building is gone and before the heritage of Faith on Hill has been erased. It would be the greatest thing ever if hundreds of years from now, this body was a seed. And we're going to talk about seeds in a moment. So again, if your pastor is not on fire for youth ministry, kick him in the shins. You have permission today to kick him. I'm just kidding, actually. All right. In contrast to a life getting darker, um, recently I saw the opposite happen. My uncle. I have an uncle named Jim, and Jim was 94. And Jim had walked with Jesus' life. I've actually never met a person that uh, wasn't clergy that knew the Bible like him. He could actually sit down with pastors and probably school them. He, uh, he went to Bible college, but he was a businessman. Um, he was an inspiration to me, and recently he passed away. And I, I remember hearing from uh, my cousin who was there the last couple weeks when Jim was passing. She said that um, Jim, my uncle, his light, <laughs> his light because of the fruit of the Spirit, shone all the way until his last breath. He was telling the, the people that came into the hospital about Jesus. They come in and see Jim in the morning, and he had a favorite scripture. And they say, hey, Jim, how's it going? He'd be like, great. Believe in the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. And I think that comes out of Acts, Acts 16. And he would say this to them, and then he'd ask them. Here's this old man sitting, sitting in his... In his uh, his last room that he'll ever see, and he's sharing Jesus because it's pouring out of him. He can't help it because he spent time with Jesus. That contrast between that and somebody, Barna, telling us 6% of people beyond 19 are going to say yes to Jesus, I mean, if that doesn't shake you, it should. We need to be true Christians that are plugged into the vine. When, um, when my uncle passed away, it made me think of, um, it almost sounds trite because everybody knows the 23rd Psalm, but um, the 23rd Psalm, verse 6, I believe it says, Surely mercy and grace will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, that was pouring out of this guy. I think that we can, we can agree and we can, we can agree that we need to be plugged into the vine so that our life looks like that at the end. All right, so I know this is a ton, so we're unpacking that parable. We're on the second parable. Uh, this is going to be the kingdom of God. We're going to look at Mark 4, 30 through 34. And this one's going to go a little bit quicker. 
But this one, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us encouragement. And I hope that today, if nothing else, where you're at, you're going to leave here today being encouraged. So this is what it says. Again, Jesus said this. Verse 30. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And then it goes on to say that with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone, and we talked about this before, when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So point number four is this. True disciples, true Christians, will experience the growth of God's kingdom. And they're going to see it become a large refuge for anyone. The word kingdom... It's actually taken from another Greek word, which is basilius. And you've probably heard the word basilius uh, used to describe um, buildings before. But basilius implies that kingdom, God's kingdom, it's royalty. I like that. It's royalty. It's a ruling power, such as a king. And it's all existing within a realm. We're going to come back to realm so in verse 31, Jesus paints the picture of, I love this, of a small, rapidly expanding kingdom. I'm going to read it one more time. It's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches, the birds can perch in its shade. I mean, it's crazy. If you think about a mustard seed, so I'm going to I'm going to reveal something that my wife will probably be like going, yes, this is true. I am not a culinary whiz. <laughs> Who likes to cook? Okay, now just guys. Guys that like to cook. And I'm not talking barbecuing. Oh, this is good. Men that cook. So I'm thinking, I've seen mustard seeds before. I'm sure I've seen them. They've been in the pantry and I, so last night I snuck out. I went to Fred Meyer's of all places. And my wife told me I need to return these. That's actually kind of funny because mustard seeds are expensive. But there's thousands of these tiny little mustard seeds in this thing. And as I'm looking at these, I'm thinking to myself, that really is encouraging. I mean, you can look at things two ways. You can say, oh, faith on hill. Are we a mustard seed? There's billions of people alive today. We're just a small group here. Are we a mustard seed? But faith on hill, it could become, and it doesn't always mean that you build a big building. It means your influence in people's lives branches out. I don't necessarily think God wants us to build mega churches, But these seeds are tiny. And I'm like, yes, I'm getting this. So this is what I think about um, how crazy this is. Jesus says his kingdom will start small. It's a mustard seed. It's so small that it's unlikely to produce anything much more than a weed. If you guys have ever seen, who's seen a mustard plant? They don't have big branches typically, okay? They're not big. So for, 
For Jesus to say it's going to have branches, that means, and here's the good news, it's supernatural. It's not something that we fabricate. By the way, if, if you think that ministry is something that we fabricate, you're going to get disappointed. <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit to make something small become something big. Then, it's just a speck. It's a dot. I mean, these things are so small. And then this is my favorite part. The kingdom of God, it's, it's built off of 12 sketchy individuals. They're scary dudes. I wouldn't want them to date my daughters. 12 sketchy people following a lone rabbi across the regions of Israel. Then, it's their leader being unjustly murdered and placed in a tomb to rot. It gets better. It's so unlikely. It's a grave being unable to contain. If this doesn't fire up your heart, then hit yourself a little bit. It's, it's their leader in a grave, and the grave is unable to contain their leader as he is resurrected from the dead. And then, 2,000 years later, here we are today, 2,000 and change, from that little mustard seed, 12 sketchy guys, which, by the way, they got scattered, as we know, Christianity is the largest religion on the face of the earth right now, as, as far as adherents go, people that say that they followed the teachings of Jesus, regardless of denomination. It's 2.4 billion people on the earth from 12 sketchy people who got filled with the Holy Spirit, and God used the teachings to go out. You guys don't look sketchy, so this should be even better. You guys have more influence. So... These branches in the kingdom. The other thing is it's a kingdom that's unrestricted. It's unrestricted. There's no boundaries. There's no borders. It's not like the state of Oregon where all of a sudden it bleeds into California or Idaho or Washington. It knows no boundaries. And then the thing that, that got me, and this is where actually Adam and I, we, we talked. The birds. What are the birds and the branches and so as you guys read this scripture, and I would go home and chew on this, commentaries are saying actually that the birds, that's Jesus saying that this plant is going to be so crazy cool and supernaturally grown that this tiny thing that shouldn't produce large branches is going to reach out and give shelter and love and hope to those that need it. And guess who that is? It's us. It's the Gentiles. So some scholars believe this is the first mention that Jesus is talking about. His church is going to expand. We're here today because of that. And I wanted to say this because a lot of times we forget that the kingdom of God is still moving, still expanding. I love that reference to China earlier today. True Christians still live for the kingdom of God, and that's one that is still rapidly expanding. It's a royal realm and it belongs to Jesus. So my last point today and then we're going we're gonna to close with this. Last point is this. True Christians again, they can understand the kingdom of God. Now I kind of set Adam up here because the topic of the kingdom of God I mean that could be a sermon series. Um, the elements the uh, theological um, theological elements of what the kingdom is, the structure. 
Uh, and so uh, in addition to kicking Adam in the shins, uh, just kidding, uh, ask him for a good sermon on, on just the structure, the definition of the kingdom of God. Um, but today I just want you to walk away with this, that true Christians can know it. It does not have to remain a Rubik's Cube. Jesus wanted to bring a clarification. So look at verse 34. This is what he says. Again. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Pause. This is when he was with the masses and the Pharisees. But when he was alone with his own, he explained everything. Jesus explained everything. And today he wants you to be encouraged he wants us to seek out the kingdom of God and let him explain everything. I actually had a great conversation about this too because someone said, well, but you know, that was for, that was for the disciples then. Well, I, I got news for you. Until Jesus comes back, he says he's actually calling every one of you, every one of you to be a disciple. You're all being called to be a disciple. So much so do I think this is the case for us today. Hebrews 13.8 uh, reveals the character of Jesus, and we, we know this, and I'm kind of twisting it, but not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and... Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and for ever. His heart for his disciples, we're disciples, that hasn't changed. So some of us today, as I close, I want you to be encouraged. Some of us today, we may feel like maybe Scripture really is a Rubik's Cube and you need clarity. We're going to pray about that. Some of us might feel like we need to ask God to help us be a great reflector. We need to be a stand. We need to be willing to go wherever he tells us to go and shine that lamp of Jesus. Some of you, may, maybe you feel like you struggle with showing Jesus. It's scary. Or it can be. But some of us need to learn how to bear better fruit. And I always think about um, my in-law's own property that had like orchards on it. And at the end of the summer, fruit starts to fall off. And it starts to smell. And it starts to have bugs in it. And it's just not good. Anybody ever seen that before? Yeah, I don't want my fruit in my life to look like that. I want my fruit to stay healthy. I want it to benefit other people. Some of us might need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us bear better fruit. And then finally, some of us might be feeling today like maybe, and I don't, because I don't know you guys, it's so easy to say. Um, maybe some of you don't know the Lord. And maybe some of you feel like you, you do know the Lord, but you're decaying. And you just really want Jesus to do a new work in you. That Barna thing really scares me. So in a moment, we're just going to go ahead and um, I like to do what I call doing business with God. And that's usually taking 30 to 40 seconds and just practicing silence. And that gives everybody here an opportunity just to be honest with God, pray to him. And again, the four areas... I just ask God to reveal to you, or maybe you already know and you want God to move in your life. Clarity with the word. Help me reflect Jesus. Help me bear better fruit. Or God, I don't, 
I'm decaying, or maybe I don't even know you, Jesus, I need you in my life. So for the next few, few moments, let's just go ahead and silently pray and, and ask the Lord. So Lord, reveal to us, help us speak to you in your name, Lord.